This is HPR episode 2577 entitled Emigration. It is hosted by Klaatu and is about 31 minutes long and carries a clean flag. The summary is How to Emigrate. This episode of HPR is brought to you by archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to archive.org forward slash donate. Hi everybody, my name's Klaatu. I was just listening to the national anthem of the United States of America for fun, as I do. And in this episode of Hacker Public Radio, I want to talk about immigrating. That is, leaving a country. So that's immigrating with an E, not with an I. One thing I've learned, having immigrated from one country to another, and immigrating to another, uh, I've learned that, that immigration is a really complex topic. There are lots of different countries that you might want to leave, and there are lots of different countries to which you may want to go. The weird thing is that not everyone wants you to leave, and not everyone wants you to go in to their country. So it's sort of weird because you feel like, well, I was born here, but I don't want to necessarily live here, so where could I go? That's up in the air. You may not have any place to go. There, there may be no country on the planet that wants you in their borders, within their land. Uh, including your birthplace, but they're kind of obligated, I guess, to have you, unless you do something really crazy, but that's not really immigration, that's like deportation or something. So anyway, if you want to leave a country and go to another country, there are a couple of different qualifications that you are expected to have. One of those things is, the, the I guess probably the easy way, is a lot of money. If you have a lot of money, there are probably very few countries on this planet that would not love to have you. They, they all generally, at least from my research, they all generally are quite excited to have people who have a lot of money come into their country. And, and they will sometimes, I mean, it's kind of a sliding scale. If you just have a little bit of a lot of money, then they'll, they might take you on the promise, kind of the assurance that you are self-sufficient. Like you, you, you are not going to maybe work in the country, but so, so you're not stealing anyone's job, but you are also not going to leech off of the country's resources. That is to say, you are, by flashing like your little bit of a lot of money, you are promising that country, that, that country's government, that you are going to pay handsomely for anything that you take within their country. Like if you if you go to a restaurant and order a sub submarine sandwich, a hoagie, and you eat that hoagie, you are going to pay for that hoagie. So you are not taking a hoagie from anyone. You are not taking a job making that hoagie from anyone. You are just self-sufficient. You're rich. You're you're okay. And and I think I, I get the impression that that's more or less a zero sum for the government of any country. It's like you're not not really contributing anything to their country maybe but you're also not taking anything from it so you're kind of just you're just sort of existing now there's a little bit of a risk there because what if you get really really sick or something but i mean again they're assuming you're rich you're 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 rich enough to take care of your own problems and that's what they want to see in in a person coming into the country or or that's one of the things that they want to see Another way is to have a lot of a lot of money. So if you're super rich, then they may see you as a gain for their country. They might see you as some as sort of a benefit. Like they're they're almost um 
they're leeching you from from your home country because you have so much money and they think in their minds they they figure that if they let you in you will not only pay handsomely for your hoagies you will you will certainly not steal a job because you don't work because you're rich and you will also be able to maybe invest here and there like you might throw money around like you might go to a local business say hey i like what you're doing here's a million bucks and that's great for for the country's uh inhabitants it's great for the country's economy and so they are very friendly to that sort of thing this includes for instance um investments like so if you go into a country and you decide well i have a lot of money i have a lot of lot of money and i'm going to maybe purchase a house then you can purchase a house they will gladly take your money whether you live there or not frequently not all the time but a lot of times they will let you buy a house whether you live in the country or not and and they won't really mind and then you could rent that house to someone and you could make money off of people in that country or you could live in that house yourself there's a lot of flexibility there so i mean hey look if you got a lot of money you're not listening to me drone on about how to immigrate from a country right you've got all that figured out already you, you you're used to this sort of thing you've got a lot of money you do whatever you want you don't really take it for you don't actually ask the question first you assume that you can do it and you're right so congratulations so okay so assuming that you're not independently wealthy enough to just waltz into any country and have them invite you in because of your bank account, then there are other things that they kind of expect you to have if you're coming into a country. And again, this is all from just my personal experience and research. So there may be edge cases, there might be exceptions. Like I say, there are a lot of countries on this planet, and a lot of them have completely different rules and regulations. Like getting into, for instance, New Zealand is different than getting into, say, Switzerland, which is different than getting into Taiwan or, or France, whatever. I mean, really, you can pretty much just look at any country and assume that that's going to be different. So one of the things that you can typically count on is that a country does not want to take in someone who is a liability. And that's that's kind of, if you think about it, it's kind of obvious. Like if you're thinking of a country as kind of a business then and that's basically what an economy is right it's a big it's a big business scheme it's like a it's an economy that is what it is so if you if you're going in there and you're saying look i have no money i am very sick and i'm just kind of hoping that you're going to be able to pay for me to eat and for hospital bills then they're really really not going to want you and that's um something that that is just true almost no matter what i i don't know of a country that really is okay with bringing people in that they see as a liability so they expect you to be able to sort of support yourself and that doesn't mean that you need to be self-sufficient it just means that you need to be able to support yourself however and quite quite contrary to that they do not want you necessarily stealing a job away from one of their native-born inhabitants. Because to them, that is a liability in itself. Because if you take a job that someone in that country, who was born in that country, would have taken hadn't you taken it, then to them, they see that as kind of a hit against their sort of natural organic economy. So the ticket is to look at the country that you want to immigrate to and look on their immigration site. They usually have some kind of immigration presence online, like an immigration, you know, immigrate to such and such. So you look at their immigration site and you look at some of their documentation and there's usually some kind of list of skills that they that they feel are desirable in that country and that will differ from country to country so some countries may 
may be in in very real need of educators, for instance. Maybe they're just for whatever reason they're not retaining people who are who are growing up in the country and getting they're going to school, they're getting that teaching degree or or whatever, and, and instead of staying in the country to teach the the children of that country, they're they're leaving. They're going to some other country to teach children somewhere else. Maybe because they're bored in their own country, maybe because they don't feel safe in their country. I don't know. Whatever whatever drives people away from their homeland people are leaving. So, or, or maybe just no one in that country, for whatever reason, nobody is taking a teaching degree. Just There's no, maybe there's a perception that that's not a worthy cause, or it's not what you, um, it's not what you do, or it's, it's not, uh, it's not a paying gig. You know, it's not, it doesn't pay enough, so people just aren't doing it. Either way, there's a shortage of this thing, and, and in my example, I'm saying educators. So, maybe in, in the case of that, you, you might be able to get into a country into another country because they they need what you have. So, in, for instance, if you're a teacher and you look at a country and and they say, hey, look, we really need teachers, just apply. We will take. We will probably take you. So as long as you are reasonably healthy and and can demonstrate that you're reasonably responsible, like I went to school, I paid some bills, I, and I intend to work in your school system, then they'll take you. They will give you what is called a visa, V-I-S-A. That is not the same thing as a credit card. It is a kind of a piece of paper that you get uh, pasted into your passport. And this visa explains to people at the border what you are allowed to do in that country. And so there are several different varieties of visas. So there are visitor visas or, or holiday visas sometimes where the expectation is that you're going to go into that country and spend like maybe a week or two weeks, maybe a month, just kind of hanging out, going to hotels, p- paying for rooms. Maybe you're just backpacking and you're going to stay in a youth hostel. They don't like that as much typically, but whatever. You've got permission to go into the country and visit. And, and you, you, it is the expectation that you are visiting. Maybe you're spending money, maybe you're not. It doesn't, doesn't technically matter. But but there is an expectation that you're going to go in, you're going to visit, you're going to in some way stimulate the econ- economy. Whether it's it's in little ways like yeah you're going to be camping, or big ways like you're a big spender, you're going to buy trophies and uh, not trophies, uh, souvenirs and things like that, and you're going to go on tours and you know you're going to spend lots of money. Whatever, it's just it's a visitor's visa. It's pretty common. So that's the. And, and there is the expectation there that you have the money then to leave. So if it's a, if it's a nation where you have to get to it by flying from your, your homeland, then there is an expectation that after that period of visitation, you will also have the money to get on a plane and fly away to, back to your homeland. So, and, and they will check that sort of thing too. Like, I mean, if they, if they have reason to believe that you are going in and out of the country very frequently and they're not really sure why you're doing that, they will, they will look into that sort of thing from what I've heard. It's never happened to me, but that's, that's what I've heard. So, so there's a visitor's visa, but there's also other kinds of visas. There's like um, a, a a work visa, which gives you permission to get a job there. So if you don't have a work visa or a work condition on your visa, whatever visa you have, then you are not allowed to get a job. But if you target a country and say, okay, I want to move there, I've looked at their skill list, their skill shortage list, and it has listed a skill that I have. So maybe it's you're an educator, maybe you're a computer scientist, maybe you're something else. 
then you can go to that country, you can contact that country, the, you know, some place in that country and say, hey, look, I've, I, I, I've got this skill and I know that you're hiring. I mean, you don't like contact the country. You have to identify a place in that country, like a, a company or an institution in that company, in that country that needs the skill for which you are applying. Uh, and you apply for that and, and the likelihood of you getting that position is, is as strong as you are at, at getting yourself hired. But then the permission to take that job and to move to that country and to live in that country and work in that country, that is something that the government provides. And sometimes the, the place in the country that you are contacting and getting a job at, sometimes they'll intervene for you. You know, they'll, they'll go to the government, file some paperwork, be like, look, this person, we're hiring this person. And they're on the skill shortage list, and so we really do need them. We we can demonstrate that we don't have any other better option within you know the native population of the country. So we really need to hire this person. And the government will give you a, a visa. And sometimes there's a little bit of back and forth. I, I, sometimes there is a little bit of back and forth. You know you you'll have to sort of vouch for who you are and and your qualifications and the company that you're getting hired at will have to vouch that they're actually a company and that they really do need you. And the government sits in between you two and sort of like arbitrates between the two things that you are claiming. And finally, they send you a visa that says, yes, you can live and work here for some set amount of time. And that's important to realize is that that initial visa is probably going to be only for a certain amount of time. It's not... It's, this is not a apply once and then forget it sort of thing. This is sort of like, okay, well, we're going to give you permission to be here and to work here and live here for a year. Now, if you prove to be undesirable for any reason, maybe you get fired from the job, or maybe you just aren't very good at your job, or maybe you're a troublemaker, maybe you end up um, going around at night, you know, uh, defacing walls. Then, then they will they will take that option to not renew your visa. I mean, if you're doing something really terrible, they will just they will they won't care that they gave you a visa. They will kick you out anyway. But I mean, if you're just kind of like an annoyance and not super great to have around, they will just not renew the visa at the end of the year. Or if you fail to a apply for a renewal, they will not apply. They will not renew the visa because they'll just assume that you've got the paperwork and you got tired of the job, so you're leaving after a year. Not no skin off their back. They don't care. So that's the sort of the, the, the way in, is to find a country with a shortage of some skill that you happen to have, and then find a company within that country who is hiring within that, you know, within that skill category. Apply and go to the country. Get that visa. So once you've got the visa, once you're in the country, you do need to continue to apply for renewals. So you, you know, you, you do that usually, I mean, nowadays it's mostly online, but, but sometimes you'll have to mail copies of forms to the local uh, country, the local government, and you may even have to send them your passport. That's that's weird when you have to do that. That's scary because you know how everyone tells you, never let your passport out of your possession. Do not ever give it to anybody. Hang on to that thing. Like, that's what they always tell you when you're on holiday, right? When you just go to France, they're like, hang on to that passport. If you lose that passport, you'll be stuck in France forever, and you don't know how to speak French, so then where will you be? But in real life, uh, when you're moving somewhere, yeah, they want your passport. They'll just be like, hey, put it in an envelope and send it to us. We'll, we'll take care of it. We promise. We need to make like photocopies of it or something. So, and they need to put the new visa in there. They need to physically paste the new visa in. So you'll do that and you'll do that every year. And eventually, after some number of years, you can 
you can do you can usually and again this may differ from country to country so you'll have to look into it but eventually at some point everyone gets tired of the paperwork even the government employees and there there it comes to the point where everyone sort of agrees okay you're planning on being around for a while you're doing well at your job you're not causing any trouble and frankly we're tired of doing paperwork so why don't you apply for a maybe a residence a resident visa. So this, as the name implies, means that you can stay in the country for a longer period of time. So basically, instead of having to renew your visa every year, you get to only have to renew it every three years or every five years or some number of years. And that's a great thing to have. And a lot of people live on resident visas for ages, really. They just, they get that resident visa and they're they're happy. That's all they need. They they'll they'll reapply every five years, and that's not you know it, it's sort of a formality, or or I guess people think of it as just kind of like I'll apply, and then of course I'm going to get approved. It's just it's a thing that we do every five years. It's cool, and and there's no guarantee there. I mean it it is it does have to get renewed. So to get that thing no longer hanging over your head, the only step up I think as far as I know from a resident visa is citizenship and citizenship is a whole well sometimes there's a permanent resident uh, visa where where you can in where you can apply for just a, a visa without an end date really and it just says look as long as you're in the country uh, well actually I think for the resident visa you have to be in the country you know a, some, some number of days like you, you have to be in the within the borders for you know like let's say 300 out of 365 days a year or whatever so if you if you just if you traipse about and go off to other countries, they won't consider you even a resident anymore. It's like you didn't really spend any time here. But as long as you're there for a set amount of time, that's you, you know that you're fulfilling your requirement of the visa. Now, if you if you want to lift those requirements and you want to stop having to reapply for a new visa every three or five years or whatever it is, then you can get sometimes a permanent resident visa, which which simply says, yep, you live here now. You're not you're you're not a citizen, like you, but but you're basically you're a de facto citizen. So it's kind of like a common law citizen. It's like well, you're here so often that all the benefits that we give to our citizens are going to also be given to you, or at least most of the benefits. And it kind of, it'll vary from country to country. Sorry to keep saying that, but that's just kind of something to keep in mind, that my experience in one country and and my, you know, friends of mine's experience in other countries are not going to necessarily be the same as yours in some other country. So you have to kind of look into it yourself. And it's not always obvious. A lot of, it's a lot of legal speak and a lot of websites and a lot of forms and a lot of books to read and research to do. But hopefully you'll learn to navigate that as you as you meet other people who have who have immigrated. So anyway, you may get a permanent visa uh, application or or rather a permanent visa, in which case you can just kind of live there. And maybe you know if there's like voting, then you can maybe vote. Maybe you'll be required to vote. You should look into that. There are different countries do things different ways. So if you become a permanent visa, you might have a permanent resident. You may find that you have obligations that you didn't know you had before or that you didn't even have in your home country. Things are different. So you should really, really review these sorts of things. After the permanent residency, some, you know, usually you have to spend another set amount of time in the country. And finally, finally, after that, it might be five years, might be 10 years, whatever. Keep that visa paperwork up to date. Uh, but as a permanent resident, you shouldn't have to do anything. But after some number of years, they'll they'll take you seriously. They kind of get the hint. And then you may be able to apply for citizenship. And, and that's a big topic, citizenship. I mean, there's an emotional factor. A lot of people 
kind of feel that their homeland is sort of part of who they are and it's built in, you know, it's part of their their, their nature is where they were born and, and their culture and all this other stuff. So they would never want to give up their citizenship. But I mean, look, you moved to another country, so maybe you do want to get rid of your citizenship. Well, if you want to do that, you have to file paperwork with lots of different places. So first of all, you have to apply for citizenship in one country, your, your new country. Uh, and then you have to apply to revoke, possibly, your citizenship from your homeland. Now, it depends on what your homeland is, but certainly for the USA, you have to apply to drop your citizenship, and then you have to pay them money to to really, really drop citizenship. They do This is not a free process. They make you pay to stop being a citizen. So once you do that, now you no longer have a USA passport. You are no longer a USA citizenship, uh, a citizen. And that has a, a bunch of, or whatever your homeland is, right? And, and that may or may not have a lot of ramification for for really what you're entitled to. So you want to review kind of like, what are the benefits that this citizenship offers me? What are the citizen, what are the benefits that this citizenship offers me? And you can kind of look between the two and sort of figure out which one is more advantageous to you. And it might depend. I mean, it might depend on what homeland you're coming from and what you're trying to make your new homeland. It, there's a lot of stuff about the passport too. Like once you, if you if you move to another country, you start hearing a lot about like the good passport, the best passport to get. You know, the the passport that gets you into the most places. Like not parties, just other countries. Like the USA passport, for instance, um, it might have changed now. It may not have. I'm not sure. But at one point, at least, the USA passport like exclude very very specifically restricted you from going into Cuba at all for fun, for research, for anything. You're not supposed to go to Cuba. And so if you had a USA passport, you were bummed about that because you were like, oh, I can't go to Cuba. But if you had an, a UK passport, you could pretty much go anywhere. Like there's, from what I've heard, there's like practically no restrictions on a UK passport. It's really, it's kind of like the one to have, supposedly. So there are lots of different sort of varieties of benefits and drawbacks to different countries and having different citizenships in, in different countries. Now, generally speaking, you, you you can usually only have one citizenship. I mean, there might be exceptions, but uh, a lot of times places don't want you to be a citizen of two places because ostensibly you can only live in one. You can only be in one place at one time. So they they typically want you to be either a citizenship a citizen of of, of their country or or that country, but but not both. Now there are to there are exceptions. So you know it really depends on what countries we're talking about. Along with citizen citizenship, also generally comes taxes. So once again, depending on the country that you're coming from and going to, you may be obligated to pay taxes to your homeland as well as to your new country, unless you drop citizenship. And in fact, the USA, along with maybe three other countries, uh, are are they they require you to pay taxes in the in in the USA whether or not you've been in the USA that year at all. Now there's a bunch of exceptions to that because now you can say, well, I've earned foreign in income and no U.S. income, so I should be exempt from U.S. taxes. So really, you're filing taxes, but you're not paying taxes. But then to get rid of your citizenship so that you can't stop filing zero-dollar taxes, you have to pay like three grand or something like that. And then even then, if you make too much foreign currency, then the U.S. kind of feels like you probably should just pay them anyway, just just because. And so you have to pay taxes because you made too much money in the foreign land. How that affects the U.S., I'm not really clear on, but I, it's probably something to do with foreign nationals or 
businesses or something. I'm not really sure, but that's how it is. So you can you can you can write off I think up to a six digit income or something like that. And then after that the US is like, nah, you're making too much money over there. Why don't you just send some back home? I think I think it's time. And you might say, But I haven't even been in the States in like three years and they'll just be like, nah. You need to send of it some of it over here. So and and again, that depends on the country that we're talking about. So talking about the US, yes, that's a thing. Some other country, that might not be a thing. If you can show that, hey, I wasn't even on your soil for the entire duration of 2018 or 19 or 20 or whatever, they will happily bow out to having you file or pay taxes in that country. But of course, you'll be paying taxes in your new country. All of this becomes drastically more complex if you have a family that you're traveling around with, because now the, con- the, the, the target country that you're trying to move to sees a bunch more potential liabilities. They want to see that you're going to make enough money to support your entire family, whether they are all healthy or whether they all are, are ill, and, and as they grow up, are they going to be able to get jobs, and, and are they going to be Citizen? Are they going to become citizens? Are they just going to become permanent residents? Like, what? What's the situation here? What's the future look like? They want to know that sort of thing. So when you've got a family, it it becomes well. The the children are your dependents, obviously, uh, and then your partner is possibly your dependent, but possibly not. And then that becomes the whole thing over again. So in other words, you may be someone with a skill shortage on that country's list. You know, they they might have listed your your special talent as something that that they are desiring to have in their country. But what about your partner? If your partner is just in a boring a boring old job that anybody can do and and the country doesn't really feel like they really necessarily need that, they don't really feel obligated necessarily to grant your partner a work visa. They may grant your partner a a visiting visa for a year to to quote unquote visit the country as you are both living and and well one of you would be working there. Or they might grant uh, maybe a temporary residential visa to your partner and your children. It really kind of depends on the deal that you're able to wrangle from the government that you're dealing with. And, and the company that you're, you know, ostensibly getting hired at in this imagined scenario may not really have any sway over that. I mean, they they may, because if they're a big company that has a as a major influence over uh, the economy of that of that country, then they may be able to kind of nudge the government and say, look, in order for us to continue to to be as successful as we are, we need workers, and and a lot of those workers are going to have families, so you need to just kind of just deal with that and hand out a couple more visas per per employee because you know we're I mean and we pay well so we think that the families are going to be supported we don't think it's a big deal can you meet us halfway and the government will probably acquiesce i mean hopefully but it's it is it can be a very um stressful experience because you might be applying for a work visa for yourself and then your partner is giving like a holiday visa so your partner is just on holiday for a year whether your partner wants to be on holiday for a year or not for instance maybe you're working and your partner has given up a job and would very much like to continue that career just in another country in, in another country uh, but the government the local government won't permit your partner to work because that's not seen as a as a, a skill that, that a non that, that they need to import now ideally what happens is that after some time of being in the country your partner looks enough like a resident that your partner getting a job it doesn't feel so 
abrasive. It doesn't feel like they're stealing a job from a local because, eh, your partner's basically a local now. But, I mean, that can take years. That can take up to, well, I mean, it can take up to anything. It can, it could certainly take, like, you know, that first initial year of sort of like, well, here you are, you've got this job, let's see how you, let's see how it goes. Your partner's just gonna have to be on holiday for a year, whether they like it or not. And, and then maybe after some time, after you get a residency visa or, or something better, then maybe your partner is allowed by the government to go out and, and find paying gigs. And that can be tough, tough on a partner, you know? Like, I mean, it might be exciting and fun. Hey, we're gonna move to a different country. Uh, yeah, country, this will be really cool. And then kind of reality sinks in. It's like, oh, wow, I've got a lot of spare time here in this country. And, and while it is very cool to be in this country, it's days sure are long here. And and it becomes sort of a problem. And, and maybe there's volunteer gigs around that your partner can go volunteer for things. Or maybe your partner has a healthy and productive hobby that they can just work on, you know, and not get paid for. I mean, maybe maybe that's fine, but you do have to consider that sort of thing, and it's one of those things that you may very well and easily forget while you, while while suddenly you're both excited about the prospect of, oh my gosh, we can move to this country, um, possibly possibly slow down and think, okay, well, we're, if if we both move, then we both have to get like visas, and what kind of visas are out there, and what kind of skills are are, are actively being imported into this country, and do we both do we both qualify for that? Now, like I say, all of this is done pretty much online. I mean, these days, I, I, I assume at one point in, in the world, you probably had to go to, like, the embassy or something, but I, I don't think that that's really a thing anymore. Um, you, you can go to a, a country's website, you can look at their skill shortage list and kind of get an idea of what countries are looking to import. And then as a separate action, you need to go, you, you need to find companies with a, with, with a, with a building in that country and, and apply to that, that company and then work with them both to get your, to get yourself into the country. So that's basically all I know on, on the process of moving to another country. And like I say, some of this is done, is, is kind of down from my own research. Some of it's from my own experience. And then some of it is from the experience of other people that I know who live abroad. And, and, Honestly, my only experience has been with American uh, immigration. Like that's that's all I know about, really. But I, I've had friends like from France and uh, from Colombia and from a couple of different, well, Germany, a couple of different places. So I kind of I've I've gotten little hints of how it is, and it, it all seems fairly similar. But there are, you know, you, you do need to look at, at the specifics, do do your research, and try it out. It's really, it's a lot of fun, especially if you don't like your homeland. Not that you don't, but sometimes it's nice to get out, try some other places, you know, shop around a little bit. So good luck. Thanks for listening. Talk to you later. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website, or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.